Major support for Carolina Business Review is provided by Grant Thornton. Operating in more than 100 countries, our tax audit and advisory professionals specialize in helping companies unlock their growth potential. Colonial Life, providing benefits to employees to help them protect their family, their finances, and their futures. And Sunoco, a global manufacturer of consumer and industrial packaging products and provider of packaging services with more than 300 operations in 35 countries. Commercial activity continues to be strong and many expect and in fact assume this will be the case the balance of the year. Public policy and community issues are being contend in within North and South Carolina's General Assemblies right now. But in general, the drumbeat of business is very strong. Welcoming once again to the most widely watched and the longest running source of Carolina business policy and public affairs. I am Chris William and in a moment our experts Joanne Turnquist and Dr. Mark Gabriel Little on key issues important in and about the Carolinas right now and later on we will welcome back the president of Triangle based MDC David Dotson. Gratefully acknowledging support by Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. Visit us at SouthCarolinaBlues.com. Bearings, a leading global asset management firm dedicated to meeting the evolving investment and capital needs of its clients. Learn more at Bearings.com. On this edition of Carolina Business Review, Joanne Turnquist of the Central Carolina Community Foundation, Dr. Mark Gabriel Little from NC Growth, and special guest David Dodson, President of MDC. Hello, welcome again. Happy spring, uh, happy weekend. Glad to have you both here. Joanne, welcome back. Mark, Thank good to have you. Thank you. You know, this is this is a hard one to miss, uh, and it seems to take off like a like an, uh, like a, a Saturn V booster rocket, and it's died down quite a bit. I'm talking about the admissions and the recruiting scandal mm -hmm. at some of the universities, and the Carolinas are not immune to it. Wake Forest got caught in this. And Joanne, I don't, I don't want to ask you specifically about is it wrong, is it right, who is wrong, who is right, but does that debate? about um, affluent families that are buying their way into schools in less than honorable ways. Does this rip the, the Band-Aid off of a problem around just getting into four-year universities and being fair and level playing field, et cetera, et cetera? The conversation that it's prompting at community foundations, and in particular ours in Columbia, is how can we engage more donors in providing financial safety nets for kids that might otherwise not have the opportunity to go to college. So we're working with a number of scholarship donors and potential scholarship donors to expand the type of scholarship mm -hmm. they're offering to not only allow for four-year four colleges or universities but also two years and also certificate degrees because we want kids to have that opportunity to make a livable wage. So our conversation is more focused on what can we do to provide an under underpinning of support. Did, did you feel like though this specific news headline, let's just call it a headline, mm -hmm. did you feel like this brought up or, or, or uh, brought up from the bottom, kind of raked up again some of the issues around the, the, the delta between those who can't afford to go to school and those who want to go to school but can't afford to go? Is there, or is it hyperbole? I think that that conversation has been going on for a very, very long time. 
And that, again, is why so many of our donors who are providing scholarships are doing need-based, financial need-based, in addition to academic-based. Financial need is critical. Mark, you've, I mean, same question. Do you think this renews the debate around the cost of college, those who get in, those who don't get in? Uh, I think it does. Um, and I think, you know, there's the particular issues of these particular schools and illegal activity happening. And, but I think you're right. It does bring up, allow us to talk about these broader questions. And one of the ones that I think is kind of overlooked a lot, but is really important, isn't just the price of the school itself, tuition, but all the rest. So housing and basically being able to go to school full time, um, is, everyone can't do that. Um, and so I think those are some of those much more important issues that affect a much broader range of people than you know a small number of elite schools. I guess I'll also throw in there that um, I think that there's a small number of schools that suck up all of the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the schools that were named in the scandal, schools that have big sports programs. Sure. But the number of schools that are out there, whether they're four-year or two-year schools, that are very affordable in terms of tuition, is are there's plenty, right? And and actually, some of them having issues with with enrollment. They can't get enough folks. And um, as you may know, uh, North Carolina in particular. Uh, has just named some campuses in the UNC system to have very affordable uh, tuitions um, for folks now. So hopefully this conversation will allow us to talk about the other avenues that are actually out there for people to get really good education, sometimes paid mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. um, and that has a, a really good job waiting for them on the other end of it. So Joanne, back to the same, so Mark kind of alluded back to something that you said about the idea of that, but there are programs, and this is what's working, and this is what's affordable, mm -hmm. and these are good programs, by the way, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but why do you think those haven't seen the light of day as much as you, you had hoped, or, or many had hoped that they would? Again, I think uh, to the point that Mark made, the schools that you hear about are the famous schools, the big sports schools, etc. So when we go out and we're recruiting kids to apply for scholarships, we often talk about online learning that's now available throughout the South Carolina system. We talk about the smaller schools. We talk about certificate programs that can help kids pay for school while they're in school. So a lot of it is just education because the conversation does get swallowed by some of the right. larger institutions. So it's up to all of us to promote and lift up the opportunities that kids have at different types of institutions. The uh, North and the South Carolina General Assemblies mm -hmm. are in session. South Carolina is a short session. North Carolina will probably feel like it's going on all year. Uh, but nonetheless, job one for both bodies is education. Mm -hmm. It varies by the two states, but it's still education. Uh, Mark, do you feel like there's going to be some movement around education this year in, in, a, in, in a policy way that's meaningful? Um, hopefully. Um, you know, I, it, it, it's funny. So in, in my work, we, uh, we work on the local level and the federal level, and we usually observe the state level um, and, and respond. But I, I think that um, there's definitely a lot of momentum. Um, and over the past four years or so, there's been progressive changes made, uh, increases in, in teachers, uh, K through 12 teacher salaries and things like that. Um, for higher education, it's a, a much more mixed bag. And I wanna sort of tread lightly here. I work at UNC Chapel Hill and I'm not speaking on behalf of the university. Right. Um, 
But the, so the relationship between the state legislature and the different campuses in the UNC system and the community colleges and funding is a, is a really is a complicated um, pie. And so we'll just kind of have to wait and see, see how things uh, end up for us. Yeah, jo Joanne, same question. What do you think about the South Carolina General Assembly? Are they, uh, Jay Lucas, Speaker mm -hmm. Lucas, made it, made it a point to say education was going to be job one. And it seems like they've got traction. Are you encouraged by it? I am encouraged, especially by the fact that teachers now are being recognized for the work that they do and salaries will go up because the entire conversation we're having about college is for naught if the kids can't graduate from 12th grade mm -hmm. and they're not reading at grade level when they hit grade four. So we really do need to focus on our future. That's the only way we're going to battle inequality throughout our mm -hmm. state. All right, we're gonna bring our guest on because I suspect he has an opinion on some of these things that we, we've been talking about. We hope you'll stay around for that. Before we do that, coming up on our program, uh, once again, he's been here before, He'll, he's coming back, except slightly different capacity now. His name is Mike Reardon. Mike is the co-CEO of what is called Prisma. Prisma used to be two different entities. One was Greenville Health System from the upstate of South Carolina, as well as Palmetto Health from the Midlands. Uh, Mike Reardon uh, next week on our program. Also coming up, John McConnell has cobbled together more than just a couple golf courses. McConnell Golf has been very successful in, in a way to grow and congeal golf courses, control costs, and raise revenue. We're gonna to talk to John McConnell as well. Our guest now leads an academically robust and professional group of individuals that are more than just a clinical producer of thought, research, and analysis. In fact, their stated mission says, and I wanna quote this to get this right, MDC helps organizations and communities close the gaps that separate people from opportunity. There's a lot of room for interpretation in that phrase, so why not go to the top, and we will right now. We welcome back to our dialogue MDC President David Dotson. David, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Uh, David, unpack that comment for us. The mission of MDC is about opportunity and access. Well, um, we are fortunate in living in a time and in a place, the Carolinas, where um, there is overall a rising tide of economic opportunity. We also are hampered by the fact that not everybody is able to connect to that opportunity. So there is a important piece of work to create what we call the infrastructure of opportunity that connects people to um, opportunities to thrive. And when that happens, Society benefits. We like to say at MDC, society benefits when everyone succeeds. We're very fortunate in having um, something at the end of the rainbow, a pot that people can tap into. We are not fortunate in that a lot of the systems that we count on to be those connective systems. You've been talking about education, uh, primary, secondary, and post-secondary, but also transportation and housing. A lot of those systems don't work in unison, in alignment, to deliver people from a less than advantageous starting point to that point of opportunity. A successful society is a place where the pathways are transparent and unencumbered. So think about those two things. How can we in the Carolinas make the forward pathway to opportunity clear to everyone and make it unencumbered. And when we have that, 
we connect people with opportunity. So that's all we're trying to do in MDC. Well, it's, it's simply stated, but it's a hard job. Mm -hmm. It is a hard job and it requires working in partnership. Um, we're talking about re-engineering systems of social and economic advancement. And those systems have many, many parts. So our work is inherently collaborative. It gets both end users of the systems and people who lead them, community college presidents, um, foundation presidents, major employers, government leaders to come together and say, essentially, how can we make these systems of opportunity be clear to the users and be as barrier-free as we can have them be? And we don't try to take on the world. We're very interested at MDC in this idea of talent development connecting to family-sustaining work. Mm -hmm. Because I think when people have the credentials and experience to be able to meet what the market requires and be able to earn a fair wage, that's the uplift that helps people move out of poverty and improve their livelihoods. So we have a very broad um, vision, but within that vision, the focus on talent development and connecting to living wage employment particularly for people who lack that, mm -hmm. is where the, our center of gravity is. And there's a lot of work to be done. Happily, um, conversations about economic mobility, conversations about stalled opportunity, conversations about the inadequacy of the talent pipeline, conversations about the fact that the Carolinas import more talent than we produce from our own base. Mm -hmm. Those are the conversations that begin to get society working on this mm -hmm. challenge. So I, I'm, I'm, um, I am hopeful that we're seeing what the work is that we have to do um, in the Carolinas and quite frankly across the South and that through collaboration, leaders are beginning mm -hmm. to take that on. Joanne, question? I do. Collaboration is hard because when we think about mm -hmm. high impact philanthropy, it's based on a shared understanding that not one organization nor one type of action is going to fix it. You're working with a lot of chiefs who have <laughs> believed that their, that their action or that their organization is the savior of the problem. Yeah. How are you bringing those folks together? Um, it is hard. I joke that when I started this work, I had a full head of hair, and now look at the <laughs> like, results. Like a couple of years ago? <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah, sure. But I think the key comes to having leaders see that we are part of an ecosystem of opportunity that needs to be re-engineered. The hard task is when people are doing things that they know and believe to be virtuous and constructive, getting people to see that maybe there could be um, tangible improvements to what's going on is really important. So how do you do that? I think you begin with data, mm -hmm. with data to show that some of the systems of advancement, let's talk about the pathway from education to work. Mm -hmm. When you look at, let's say for every ninth grader, how many graduate on time from high school, proceed to a post-secondary credential, and then get into living wage work in advance, you start with 100 young people, that success quotient might end up being 70%. Mm. 
So you've lost 30% of those who started out. And when you begin to put those data forward, and as one of my colleagues says, says, interview the data to say, why are we losing people along the way? That's an opportunity for the chiefs to say, how could I do what I'm doing differently and better? So I think, I think data-based conversations to look at the systems that we have and look at how well people are moving through them or not are the beginning of a conversation that can lead to real collaboration. It's not easy, mm -hmm. but it's within our capability to do it. And you run a community foundation, if I can just say, um, among the most trusted institutions in our communities because you can create a safe space and a big table where people can look clinically at how a community mm -hmm. performs and begin to re-engineer solutions. So I'm a big fan of community foundations. Thank you. Mark. So in a lot of the work that we do in, in rural North Carolina, kind of on the flip side of that, so working with manufacturers, other business owners who can't find the folks they need for to get their business going. So can you talk a little bit, maybe with a little more detail on what's missing there, kind of workforce development, right? So any, any work that you've, any examples of, of, of really successful workforce development or or things that a lot of people are doing wrong, Any, anything in that space that you can you know, speak the, to? So, so rural and smaller communities where there is not a great deal of economic demand or vitality, that's probably our hardest environment to have this kind of virtual, virtuous talent development, living wage work continuum mm. um, come forward. Often because um, employers are small, um, they're trying to uh, keep the business going while they're also being asked to re-engineer the, the pathways. So for, for us at MDC, thinking about where are the institutions that can play a constructive role in rethinking that pathway to opportunity becomes a key question. And um, our experience tells us that community colleges really can play a critical role. First of all, they're pervasive in the Carolinas and rural communities benefit from having um, community college infrastructure. Community colleges work both on the supply side, they build talent and they work with employers. So those are the institutions that can be central to this problem solving. But quite frankly, we've got to rethink how our workforce and talent development happens. Um, in some parts, and South Carolina, I think it's really a leader in this, mm -hmm. you have collaborations, you have <coughs> apprenticeship policies, mm -hmm. where there are actual structural opportunities for an employer to say to someone, maybe even in high school, hey, I want to connect with you, I want to give you a work-based learning opportunity that often is paid with rigorous standards and outcomes so that an employer can start building a homegrown talent pool from the educational base that exists. So D D David, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, want to, I, yeah. I don't want to lose the opportunity of talking about the technical colleges and the community colleges. Yeah. Why has it been so glacially slow for them to take the lead? It's not that they don't want to, and it's not that everybody doesn't have the same goal in mind here, but it seems like there's, it, it, I don't know if it's a, a conscious resistance to change, but that would seem like that would yeah. be the bridge to bring together workforce development, rural Absolutely. development. So where where's the disconnect? So I'm going to speak as somebody who was a community college trustee for nine years at Durham Tech, where I live. 
Um, I think the problem is we expect our community colleges to function entrepreneurially, but we do not fund them to be mm -hmm. entrepreneurial. You think it's about money? I think it is about funding on a backward-looking FTE formula that makes it very hard to innovate. So if I'm a community college and I see the kind of opportunity or need that Mark is describing, I have to raise money in order to put mm -hmm. a program in place, but I don't get paid for that program until students start getting enrolled, and that's, that's a time lag. So think about a business. Um, you see a business opportunity. Would you be able to wait two years in order mm -hmm. to realize that opportunity and have funding flow. This is very hard. That would and be a mortal wound for it's business. A, it's obviously. a mortal wound. And back to the issue of where does the social venture capital come yes. from to catalyze innovation in a critical institution like a community mm -hmm. college. It comes from enlightened corporate investment and it comes from philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Frankly, you started the conversation talking about um, opportunities for our legislators to think about issues. We really have to think about how we fund our community colleges to be the entrepreneurial agents that are required for business vitality and for economic opportunity. Well, and foundations are taking more and more of a role in that. Even community foundations that generally are much broader in the types of funding that they do. We have the South Carolina Technical College Foundation is housed with us. Wow. And one of the things we talk to them about is how can they also weave a tight network amongst all the colleges? Because to David's point, each college within the South Carolina Technical College system is competing for funds. And so the foundation, the Technical College Foundation, is working to integrate all of the colleges because in South Carolina, those colleges are deployed as part of business development teams. So is there a question for David? So the question for David is how can we engage more non-traditional funders in this mm. space? I think we have to frame the challenge and the opportunity so that people can see the importance that a community college plays to this talent mm -hmm. development infrastructure and to the kind of um, building of opportunity pipelines that Mark was talking about. So we have to change the narrative. That's one of the things MDC tries to do mm -hmm. is, is do research that defines a problem and change the, changes the narrative. You know, our community colleges started, what, 60 years ago when governors realized we needed a new kind of educational infrastructure that stood between the public schools and the mm -hmm. traditional four-year college. We need to re- cover that kind of thinking and say that kind of entrepreneurial infrastructure mm -hmm. is needed more than ever. Name that issue and then put it before people, the generous philanthropists mm -hmm. and the motivated private sector leaders who would realize and therefore mm -hmm. invest in this. So we've got to change the conversation. We, we have about a minute left. Do you have a quick question? Yeah, quick question. So you talk about changing the conversation and just tying it back to something you said earlier about the, the scandals around admissions. Yeah. So. <clears throat> In a lot of the communities that we work in, the conversations about these big, bigger schools and the opportunities that are at 
community colleges, technical schools aren't there. So can you talk a little bit about how you might, how we might change the conversation to kind of elevate these opportunities so they're not seen as second tier? Because I think that, that is yeah. another element yeah. that's really important that's really in the conversation. Big. I think it is, um, it's helping people see the value in um, this alternative way of getting a post-secondary credential. We've got pieces. We have the early college high school that allow you to start getting college credit while you're in high school. We've got the opportunity for community colleges to say, this is the affordable first two-year step toward a four-year degree if you enter, do well, and transfer into a public university system. You've just saved the first two years of a four-year um, uh, credential, mm -hmm. and you've positioned yourself, if the data are correct, to probably have as good or better a chance of graduating on time from the four-year institution than if you started as a freshman. So we've got to have people see the pathway before they can walk the pathway. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, um, this is a community conversation all of us have to be engaged in. Um, we've got the innovative high schools in place in many counties, almost every county, sometimes more than one in a county. We have the community colleges. We have public four-year institutions that are among the best in the country. They just have to be connected, and particularly populations for whom post-secondary education is not in their life experience need to be able to see that pathway. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, quickly, oh. <laughs> what does MDC stand for? MDC stands for, uh, stood for Manpower Development Corporation. That's okay. an artifact of the 60s. <laughs> we don't say manpower anymore. It is wrong, wrong, wrong. But it basically means workforce and opportunity. Uh, well said. Uh, David, thanks for being on the program. Sorry yeah. it took us about a decade to get you back here, but we're glad you did. Well, thank you thank so you. much. What a good great conversation. Thank you. thank you. Mark, good to see you. Good to see Joanne, you, Joanne, always nice to have you on the program. Thank you. Good to see you. Until next week, I'm Chris William. Hope your weekend is good. Good night. Thank you. Major funding for Carolina Business Review was provided by Bearings, Grant Thornton, Colonial Life, Sunoco, Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Promotional consideration provided by Business North Carolina Magazine. For more information, visit carolinabusinessreview.org.